If you'll turn your Bibles to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we're in a series called Encounters with Jesus. It's when the infinite comes and touches the finite, and when that happens, lives change. They don't always change for the better, but they change because when he invades and has an encounter with people, that serves as a, a point in their life to choose, a defining moment in their life. So let's all listen carefully because this encounter might be just the thing that you and I need to hear. Introduction of characters. The main characters here is first is Jesus the Messiah. Now Messiah literally means the promised one. And I want you to see that Jesus is, is, is the fulfillment of our, our non-physical parts of our, our spirit and our souls. He's the fulfillment of the longings of our spirit. And he's also the fulfillment of multiple Old Testament prophecies and rituals. And I want you to envision those longings, our soul's longings and the Old Testament's teachings, those longings as arrows. They're all arrows pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus is going to take advantage of those arrows pointing to him. And so last week we saw, oh, you're thirsty? Sure, water is life in the desert. And then he says, your soul thirsts for something that can't be satisfied by something temporal. I'm living water. Today he's going to look at someone and the theme will be blindness and he'll turn that into spiritual blindness and he'll say, I am the light of the world for those who are living in spiritual darkness. Jesus the Christ. The second character in, in this is um, the man born blind. He doesn't have a name, he's the man born blind. And his life, his entire life, in a word, miserable. Back then there's no protection, there's no organizations that would help him, you know, nonprofits. He would be condemned to sit by the roadside and beg his entire life. And there would be no hope for him to have some of the things that we take for granted, like simple employment or marriage. And India is not the only country that has a caste system. I think most every country does. And you're going to see, even in this story, that they're going to see this man born blind and say, you know what? I bet he did something. I bet he had this coming. And that allows people to have no pity on that man born blind. No pity. Third set of characters are called Pharisees, and they are religious leaders at the time, and they're threatened by Jesus. And one of the reasons they're threatened is because they yield a great deal of power. When we read this and see this, I want you to look at the power they yield. And look at the fear, you can see the power, by the fear of the people that are being interrogated by them. Because here's what they can do. They can banish people from the synagogue, and what that means is we're kicking you out of your community, and we're kicking you out of even being able to have access to God. And, and the second thing that I want us all to notice in the storyline is how much they know and how confident they are in what they know. As a matter of fact, the word of the day is no. There's, this is going to be a conversation that takes place where 18 questions are going to be going back and forth and back and forth, and people are going to say, well, we know, and someone will say, well, I don't know, but I do know. No is the word, and that's the key to understanding this, and the issue with these Pharisees, the illness that they have, is I would, I would call uh, 
arrow worship. Arrow worship. It, that all, all that God has revealed in nature and in the Bible are, and within our own souls are arrows pointing to Jesus. And what is revealed in nature and in the Bible, they point to the nature of God and the plan of God. And, and these people, these, these Pharisees, they're experts in the arrows, but they don't know where the arrows point. They, they're just really good at, at knowing the arrows. It's like a, do, a, a dog, when you tell a dog to go somewhere and they don't, they just smell your finger. They're staring at your finger, not where you're telling the dog to go. That's what they're doing. And this is the nature of, of the human mind after it's bent and fallen. Look what Paul says in his book of theology in, in Romans. He says this about how we take arrows and don't see where they go. He says God, in verse chapter 1, he says, God has made his nature, right, evident to us. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his divine, uh, his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. So we're without excuse. The Grand Canyon, the Swiss Alps, look in a microscope, look in a telescope, and we're supposed to back away and say, wow, oh God, those, that's expressions of your eternal power and divine attributes. Do we do that? No, we do not do that. Look at the next verse. On verse 25 says, For we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. <laughs> we'll go hug a tree, but we won't ask, I wonder who made the tree. We won't worship the tree maker. So what is true with creation, pointing to the nature of God, and sometimes even to the plan of God, is absolutely the same in the revelation of God in the Bible. It, there are stories and rituals that are all pointing to the nature of God and what he's up to. And these men, wow, they know all about the arrows. They don't know where they point. Still today, you can find a lot of Bible study and a, a lot of Bible teachers that will tell you what the Bible says, but they don't know what the Bible means. There's a difference. That's what's happening here. <laughs> At the end of the day, we're going to see a blind guy who doesn't know, but sees. And then we're going to see guys that, that aren't blind, who say they do know, and they can't see. There's three points, movements in this storyline. There's the healing, and then there's going to be the defense of the healing. And then the last movement there is, he's all alone, but he is loving that first sunrise. It's a playful little drama about being physically blind versus being spiritually blind. Let me tell you the, the context of what's happening so you can appreciate it. Uh, Jesus is going to come across a man who's born blind, and he's going to heal him, but in a way where Jesus has to work. Now, when, and, and it's going to be on the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. I keep saying work with quotes because it's not in the Bible's definition of what the Sabbath is. It's not from God. This is tradition. This is things that have been added to what does it mean to work. And so Jesus is making a point here. He's saying the Sabbath is one of those arrows that point to me, and you're missing it. And then he's going to say, look, <laughs> when the blind receive their sight, that is literally a fulfillment 
of a promise in the Old Testament of what to look for in the Messiah. He will give sight to the blind. That's an arrow that's pointing to me. Are you blind to that? There's a lot of playful on words here. Stop looking at the arrows and look where the arrows point. That's the big point here. So here we go in verse 1 of chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, uh, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So we start with a crazy question by his disciples. And it's a very popular way of dealing with the problem of suffering back then and even today. It's very popular because it's easy to understand. There's no mystery in this answer. This person who's born blind, there must be a cause that I can understand. Either his parents sinned or he sinned. And so that leaves you with like two roads to live out the consequence of that thinking. One is a road to rage, just raging anger, and another way to apply those choices would be crippling guilt. If the only two choices are who sinned, the parents or this child, you can go to this road of raging anger, who sinned this, the parents, then what does he have to, what can he do except be furious for his entire life? And when we are suffering or we see someone that we love is suffering, it's pretty common for, for us to say, I bet it's someone else's fault. I bet somebody else is to blame for my, my injuries. So we, we, sometimes we blame a person. Sometimes we blame a group of people. Sometimes it's, it's an election season, so we're going to blame a class of people. It's those rich people. It's those poor people. Sometimes we just blame God. But it's not my fault. It's somebody else's. And now I'm going to fixate. I've got a target for my anger and let the anger rage. Let it rage. The, only, the other way you can respond to this, Jesus says, is this crushing guilt. Or did the, or did the man sin? <laughs> or did the man sin? Like, when? He was born blind. Well, maybe he sinned in his mother's womb. Don't know how that works. Maybe God foresaw a future sin and said, well, we'll take care of this before he even gets born. Who cares? But the point, is, the point is, when you have this value system for the problem of suffering and you answer it simplistically, you have the other way of living with it, and that is you turn the anger towards yourself. Guilt. I've, I must be suffering because I've got this coming. I'm a bad person. It's my fault. Here we go. I'm just living out the consequences. And, and so Jesus' answer is great because he says, it's not A, it's not B, there's something else here. Look what he says in verse 3. It's neither the man nor the parents that sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that. It was neither so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's talking about blindness here. The first part of what he's saying is it's neither. That means it's neither A or B. It's a false dilemma. You don't have to go with anger. You don't have to go with guilt. There's another option here. The Bible says that the way the world that you see, that's not the way God planned it. 
the Bible says clearly that there's a, a fall that takes place in Genesis chapter 3, and the fall has significant consequences. And it has the consequences in our own personal life and our, be able, and our ability to relate to God. It has consequences in our relationships with one another. And it has consequences with nature. Nature fell. The earth, the entire earth shook with that fall. And because of that fall, we can all suffer without a particular individual sin taking place. It's this general sin called the fall. And the answer that to the issues of anger is, is realizing that God is angry. He's angry at how things are working out. It's not the way he planned. It's not what he desired. And he's going to fix this. I think, honestly, maturing and wisdom is, and it happens over time, when we get older, we start to fully appreciate the depth of the fall. All around, everywhere. Because of all the suffering. And we've realized we can't find someone to be angry with. We realize we can be angry with God about how things are. And then when it comes to guilt, it's not, it's, there's no reason to feel guilt because God isn't punishing us. There's a passage in Romans that flat out declares there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Christians should have confidence that God isn't punishing them because he doesn't punish twice. The punishment has already been vented on Jesus the Christ. That's why he died. And he's not going to punish twice for something. There's a possibility that we're living out consequences to make us learn so that we can become like Christ. That's not punishment, that's discipline. And like a good and loving parent, they don't punish, they discipline. There's a purpose to it. But the point and the summary here is, is that first thing Jesus says is, is it the parents or the man himself that sin? And Jesus says, neither. The answer to suffering is nuanced. It's complicated. It's sophisticated. Here it is. It's a mystery. It's mysterious. You're not going to maybe find the answer in this life. In this particular case, Jesus says, no, no, no. It's neither so that. So that the work of God may be displayed. And when he says so that, he's saying there is intent, there is not meaningless, it is purposeful. And in much of our suffering, we can sometimes see that in our own lives eventually, but if not in this life, we will see it in the next. In this story, we'll actually see the so that. But the point is, <laughs> if we live a simplistic view of life, and a life that's including a great deal of suffering, and all we have is this road to rage and anger, or a road to crushing guilt, hear the words of Jesus where he says, it's neither, and it's so that. They're so that you will need to trust, have faith in the good, good Father. There's a bigger plan, and you'll be happy when you see how it all fits together. All right, so here we go. We have enough background. Look, first part is the healing. Jesus sees this man born blind. They ask the question. He answers it, and he says, watch this, so that the glory of God can be revealed. So he spits, he spits 
and then makes clay out of the dirt, and then he puts the dirt, or the clay on that man's eyes, and he says, you need to get down to the pool of Siloam and wash that out, and you'll be healed. And he does. He washes his eyes, and he's seeing for the very first time in his life. I mean, yay! It's the happiest day in his life. Everyone's happy for him. No. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't know. It's like we can't get ahead of ourselves, because the next section is about defending the healing. Now we're going to watch a video and we can't, if you're watching at home, we can't televise the video for, I don't know, whoever is in charge of the internet will, will cut our feet off if we play certain videos, but not other videos. Okay, that's for another day. But, so we're going to watch it because I thought it'd be easier to watch than it would be to watch me stumble through trying to read it, but also it's better looking. But here's what to listen to for. Okay, so you can appreciate what's going on. The Pharisees are upset because Jesus has worked on the Sabbath. You can't spit on the Sabbath. Not in the Bible, but according to them. And you can't, you certainly can't make clay, uh uh-uh. And you can't have that guy walk down to the pool, nope. So that's why they're upset. Look again, I'll remind you, look at the power they're yielding. Look at the fear that people have in front of these men. Because these men can, can banish them. They, they can kick them out, excommunicate them from their community and for, from their access to God. Look how much they know and look how certain they are. They are experts in arrows. They are blind. They are living in the dark because they don't know where the arrows point. Ironic, I guess. Let's play the video. Then they took to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. The day that Jesus made the mud and cured him of his blindness was a Sabbath. The Pharisees then asked the man again how he had received his sight. He put some mud on my eyes. I washed my face, and now I can see. A man who did this cannot be from God, for he does not obey the Sabbath law. How could a man who is a sinner perform such miracles as these? And there was division among them. You say he cured you of your blindness. Well, what do you say about him? He is a prophet. The Jewish authorities, however, were not willing to believe that he had been blind and could now see until they called his parents. Is this your son? You say that he was born blind. How is it then that he can now see? We know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But we don't know how it is that he is now able to see, nor do we know who cured him of his blindness. Ask him. He is old enough, and he can answer for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities who had already agreed that anyone who said he believed that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is old enough, ask him. A second time, they called back the man who had been born blind. Promise before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. I do not know if he's a sinner or not. One thing I do know, 
I was blind. And now I see. What did he do to you? How did he cure you of your blindness? I have already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Maybe you too would like to be his disciples. They insulted him and said, you are that fellow's disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. What a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man came from God, he would not be able to do a thing. Were born and brought up in sin! And you are trying to teach us. And they expelled him from the synagogue. Jesus heard what had happened. He found the man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is, sir, so that I can believe in him. You have already seen him. And he is the one who is talking with you now. I believe, Lord. And he knelt down before Jesus. I came to this world to judge, so that the blind should see. <clears throat> and those who see should become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and asked him, Surely you don't mean that we are blind too. If you were blind, then you would not be guilty. But since you claim that you can see, this means that you are still guilty. Here it was. That's word for word. Jesus is just doing what Jesus does. He's showing that the arrows all point to him. Fulfillment of messianic promise that the blind will receive their sight. I'd love for somebody to write a paper on what the blind man's day was like. <laughs> right? I mean, it's the first day he's ever seen anything in his whole life. Let's just pretend that that's the first time he's ever seen his parents. Mom, is that you? Yeah, ask him. He's old enough. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Mom. <laughs> but look at the focus. The Pharisees, they, they're not blind, but they're living in darkness. That's the whole point. And they were absolutely certain about things they knew. And the things they knew were wrong. The man was not sinful, and that's why he was blind. He, he, Jesus did not violate the Sabbath. And Jesus was not a sinner. And they are not disciples of Moses. Here's, here's their litany here, verse 28. And they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. And we know that God spoke to Moses. And we know, as, as for this Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. Experts in arrows. Blind to what they point to. They know what the Bible says. They don't know what the Bible means. It still happens today. 
There's an application for us. Um, I don't know, you, you may have heard someone say, and you might have said it yourself, boy, if I saw a miracle like back in the Jesus days, I would absolutely, yeah, show me a miracle, I'll, I'll convert. Well, here's, there's plenty of stories where people have encounters with Jesus, and that's not what happens. Something else is at stake. Their power, their wealth, their fame. And they hold on to that more than truth. Uh, miracles do not necessarily lead to faith. Any more than reason reads, leads to conversions or surrender. You can have a thousand different answers to a thousand different questions, and a person is still not convinced. And maybe there's another reason why. The blind man sees the light. And he said, well, this is remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, and he opened my eyes. Nobody has ever heard of opening eyes from, from a man born blind. This man, if this man were not for God, he could do nothing. And so they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. There it is. Again, there's that only one way or two ways out of this. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Look at the evolution, by the way, just almost like last week. Look at the evolution of, uh, with this encounter with Jesus. It happens again. It's, it's, there's this, it's incremental, right? So he starts off by just naming him as Jesus, and then he calls him a prophet, and then he'll say he's the Christ, and then ultimately he says, you are from God. And so in our own lives, let's just keep in mind that when we're loving and, and sharing with the people that God has brought into our lives, friends and family and neighbors, the do good works in Jesus Christ, it's a process. It's the long game. And a lot of prayer is required. Just see what happens over time. Yeah, Jesus may be a prophet. See what happens. Here's how it ends. He's all alone. The miracle, the explanation of the miracle and part three, he's all alone, but he is loving that first sunrise. And Jesus heard that he had thrown, that he'd been thrown out, and he found him and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? Tell me that I might believe in him. You have seen him. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Can I give you three truths? Of this encounter with Jesus. First truth is this. That following Christ comes with persecution. <laughs> as soon as this happens. That's how he's baptized into being a follower of Christ. The truth will set you free. And the truth will get you into trouble. <laughs> and even his parents. I mean, right? He's old enough to speak from. Have you heard this from your parents? Oh, I hope he gets over this phase. Yeah. Especially hurts from family members that want to distance themselves from your faith. But it's... Jesus said it. Let me just say that. I can see. I can see. Well, uh, that's illegal. Or you're kind of weird now. You're different than before. And that's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who... When you are insulted and when you are persecuted, when all kinds of evil is brought about you because of my sake, 
one, you'll be rewarded in heaven for that. And two, you're going to be in great company. They did that to the prophets and the saints. They've always been doing that. You have to learn how to stand alone. One of the last classes I took for my doctorate was, oh, what a privilege, was taught by a very humble and a brilliant but also legendary pioneer of the evangelical faith. His name was Dr. Vernon Grounds. He was the mentor to the mentors. And we had a kind of an informal get-to-know-you time in, at the beginning, and he wanted everybody to go around and tell what they felt, felt like their life verse was and maybe a story to explain why that was their verse. Now, he's in his late 80s during this class, and so when it was his turn, he went last. He was talking not necessarily about the life verse he wanted, but reflecting backwards and saying, this is the life verse I have. I've been given, to the, I've been given this verse by God. It's not the one I wanted. And then he started telling about his pioneering days when he was in graduate school and was defending the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and was all but kicked out of the programs at Rutgers that he was involved in. And he said, and I walked out of that room alone. And if that weren't the end of his story, he goes on and he's working at a, a denominational seminary that his family, hit, the denomination that goes back generations, and he's working there and things have changed for the seminary and he is holding tight to what we would call orthodoxy and the accuracy of the Bible. And in his defense, he was asked to leave and he said, and I walked out of that building all alone. He told two other stories where he had two other experiences of being interrogated and he said, and I walked out of that building alone. So he said, in conclusion, I found myself with no family supporting me and it was hard to find friends that were encouraging me to hold to orthodoxy and the reliability of the Bible. So he said, I, this is the verse that God gave me that I didn't want. It's in John chapter 21, and Peter has just heard from Jesus himself that he's going to die as a martyr. And Peter says, well, what about John? <laughs> and Jesus says, never mind John, Peter, you follow me. And Dr. Vernon Ground said, that's my verse. Never mind anyone else, Vernon, you follow me. There's a trail that's especially harsh, and Jesus will lead you to that trail, and that trail is narrow. There's no room for two. It'll just be you. No matter how close you are in a marriage or a friendship, the deepest and the darkest trail has only room for one, and you'll have to walk on that trail. Never mind anyone else, you follow Jesus. That's what this blind man has come to learn. The second principle we see in this is that if you suffer well, you become a shepherd. This man will be different than other people in that he, he knows <laughs> that there's another way out besides rage and guilt, that there's a third way, and it's neither. It's so that 
that God has a purpose in his suffering, but now he, he, will, he will hear other people wrestling with guilt and anger, and he'll be able to be the person that leads them on that solitary road, that trail <laughs> that's only wide enough for one, but he can lead them through it. He'll hear, he'll hear their soul speak, and he'll work them away from guilt. There's no condemnation. And he'll pacify their anger and say that God is angry too. You don't have to be angry with him. And he'll help them with this quiet peace. He'll love them with a quiet peace with a shepherd's heart. That's what happens with a refining fire in the life of a believer. The third thing that happens that I want to draw attention to is how dangerous this man is. Do you see that? That's, that's what I really want to bring to today. This man is dangerous. He has nothing to lose. Look at the powerful men he stands before and how he bows his shoulders back and like, what are you going to do to me? What can you do? You can't touch me. <laughs> There's a saying, if you don't know it, you should know it. Never mess with a man who has nothing to lose. Never mess with a man who has nothing to lose. You get in a little squirmish in the parking lot and you realize that the guy you're facing off with is thinking, jail, three meals a day, bed, and right, what? That'll be awesome. Don't mess with that person. Never mess with someone who has nothing to lose. And these powerful men have just figured that out. We're going to throw them out of the synagogue. I was never allowed in the synagogue. You'll never be employed. You ever heard this? You'll never work in this town. I never have. What are you going to do? We're going to look down at you with shame for the rest of your life. That's all I've ever known. These things you threaten me with, I'm not afraid of. That's all I've known. Here's the difference between yesterday and today. All that stuff that you're threatening me with, don't care. Today, I have two things that I didn't have yesterday. I have my vision. And I have a Savior. And now he's dangerous. And they know it. He is truly dangerous. I hope that you see in this man's sight how dangerous you can become. If you have an encounter like this with Jesus, you might find yourself all alone on that narrow trail that everyone needs to walk. Truth will set you free and the truth will get you into trouble. But even when you're alone on that trail, it's a well-worn trail. There are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed that idol. You just haven't met them yet. And then on that trail, you can find yourself being a shepherd to the men and women behind you. You can lead them through that dark cavern. And in that, this is the part I would love grace to grasp, that you see how dangerous you've become. When you come to understand that no one in this life can take anything away from you that Christ has given you. The things that you fear that you, could get, that you could be lost are only temporal. And even 
You're putting a face to it. Friends, family, loved ones, you'll see them later. That's a temporary issue as well. So, the punchline of, of this whole storyline is to open our eyes and to see the light of the world and see what the light of the world can do to our souls. Not just illuminate our, our spirits and help us see. Help us see what? Help us see not to fear that, tr- that little road of suffering. To see that we can become shepherds. And to see that we are dangerous. That's what an encounter with Jesus can possibly end up having in our own lives. Let's pray that it does, huh? Lord, what a life. This man, his whole life has been blind from birth. And it was only a prop, an illustration to be used by you. And he's just fine with that. Lived his whole life waiting for you to show the world that it's neither and so that. And he just wanted to play a part in your grand kingdom. Your revelation of who you are and what your plan is. Lord, I'd ask that we would find ourselves drawn to that. Not fear persecution and isolation but realize that we're in great company with prophets and saints of old and new, that we might care for one another with a deeper understanding and loving compassion. Lord, I'd ask that this church would find their courage in what it means to be absolutely without condemnation and that your promises are true and that you would never leave us or forsake us. And that you... We can't lose anything that you haven't given us. Let's be a dangerous church. Make us a dangerous church. In Jesus' name, amen.